So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. You've tuned in to Columbia Calling, your first stop for everything you want to know about Columbia. How and where to invest, where to visit. From the Pacific to the Caribbean, the Andes Mountains to the Amazon jungle, Colombia has a slice of everything. Shooting from the hip, answering the questions that need answering. Here's your host, the journalist and hotelier Richard McCall, shedding some light on the fashionable South American destination of Colombia. It's that time of the week again, folks. This is me, your host, Richard McCall, here in Bogota, Colombia, 2,600 meters closer to the stars. And this is episode 423 of the Columbia Calling podcast. This week's very special guest is, well, for many people, he needs no introduction. He's the journalist and director of hechoincali.com. That's hechoincali.com. He's a human rights journalist. His name is Jorge Luis Galeano Bolaños. And we're going to be talking about one year on from when Cali, the southwestern city in Colombia, became the flashpoint for the Paro Nacional or the demonstrations against the government. So an incredibly important one, one year on, so from 2021 to now to 2022. What has happened? Has anything changed? Is the city still on edge? And I can think of no one better to tell us about this than someone who was reporting on the ground from the scenes during, well, almost three months of protests in that city. And of course, thank you to everyone who signed up and tuned in to last week's episode with the director of Columbia Reports, Adrian Alsima. He really gave us the lowdown on uh, what the falsos positivos or the false positives are and uh, in, the, in the context of the hearing uh, a couple of weeks ago in Ocaña Norte Santander regarding those, well, war crimes. Uh, and so I think if you're interested at all in what's going on in Colombia, you should listen to episode 422. And it's a very coherent and very clear uh, conversation that we have about this really quite nefarious sequence and set of events that took place here. Well, this week, the Columbia Calling podcast is sponsored by Latin News. It's a leading source of political and economic analysis on Latin America and the Caribbean since 1967. Their flagship publication, the Latin American Weekly Report, provides a behind-the-scenes briefing on all the week's key developments throughout the region. So you can sign up for a 14-day free trial at www.latinnews.com. That's all the letters. That's L-A-T-I-N-N-E-W-S dot com. And of course, our other sponsor is BNB Colombia Tours, experts in custom-made travel throughout Colombia. The team at BNB Colombia Tours can provide you and your loved ones with a fantastic private experience, creating wonderful memories of Colombia you'll cherish for a lifetime. So do check out the website at www.bnbcolombia.com complete the free itinerary form and tell them that I sent you and you'll receive a further 5% off their already great prices. So if you're looking for Caribbean beaches, beautiful colonial towns, packages, including indigenous experiences or whale watching, do check out bnbcolumbia.com. And of course, latinnews.com, your 14-day free trial for all the news and analysis, economic, political analysis on Latin America and the Caribbean. Thank you again to our sponsors. We'll go right over now to Matt DeSalvo, who will be delivering this week's news. Brief Emily Hart cannot be with us this week. Uh, she'll be away for a couple of weeks. There's other commitments there, but Matt will take over for the next couple of weeks. And then... In segment three, we'll be talking to Jorge Luis Galeano of EchoEncali.com. So thank you for listening and don't go away. I'm Matthew DeSavo and these are your top stories for the week of May the 9th, 2022. 
Paramilitary boss and drugs trafficker Dairo Antonio Osuga, more commonly known as Otoniel, was extradited to the US on Wednesday on drugs and firearms charges. Otoniel, who led the Gaitanist Self-Defense Forces of Colombia, also known as the Gulf Clan or Urabeños, will face federal drugs trafficking charges in New York. Otoniel was accused of smuggling an outrageous amount of cocaine into America, according to a prosecutor. President Ivan Duque had previously compared the capture of the criminal to the 1993 death of drug lord Pablo Escobar. Otoniel led one of Colombia's largest organized criminal gangs. The Gulf Clan is a paramilitary group that has presence in many of Colombia's departments, especially rural areas. It is heavily involved in cocaine trafficking, as well as extortion and illegal gold mining. It is unknown how much of a dent, if any, Otonio's capture and extradition will make to the Colombian drug trade. At least six people have been killed during an armed strike announced by the Gulf Clan following the extradition of Otoniel. The armed group shut down huge parts of the north of the country in retaliation for the extradition of their leader. At least 11 of Colombia's 32 departments have been affected by the chaos. Nearly 200 cars were torched and roads were closed, including to popular tourist destinations like Santa Fe de Antioquia by the group. Civilians were forced to stay at home during the strike and bus companies cancelled services. The armed strike even reached the city of Medellin, Colombia's second largest city, where the group forced residents to stay indoors and businesses to shut in the neighbourhoods where it operates. Colombian Defence Minister Diego Molano said that extra troops would be sent to support almost 50,000 personnel already deployed. Presidential frontrunner Gustavo Petro last week said that a criminal gang was planning to kill him. Petro, who leads in the polls, cancelled his campaign rallies in the coffee region at the start of last week because of the alleged plot. Petro made the announcement on Twitter after receiving information from his security team. Medellin Mayor Daniel Quintero also said on Twitter that a large landowner from Antioquia had made a similar assassination plan. According to Petro, a criminal organisation called La Cordillera, which operates in the department of Risaralda, had hatched the plan. Colombia's Fiscalia has since opened an investigation into the matter. Ahead of the elections, Colombia's Interior Ministry said it would be prioritising security measures in certain regions to prevent the possible interference of illegal armed groups. 99 of 1,300 municipalities in the country are labelled for electoral risk posed by illegal armed groups, according to the government, and these areas will receive extra security to voters on election day. And the pandemic appears to be coming to an end in Colombia. The government last week removed mask mandates for indoor public spaces in all major cities. Gerson Bermont, the Ministry of Health's Director of Promotion and Prevention, said that this was due to the high vaccine uptake and natural immunity in the country. Masks are still required in hospitals and on public transport. And in schools, colleges and universities, students are required to use masks until May the 15th. In other coronavirus news, the government announced Friday that it would be offering a second coronavirus booster shot to people aged 50 and over. Those eligible for the second shot get it four months after receiving their first, the government said. Those were your top stories for the week. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next Monday. And we're back. This is Columbia Calling, episode 423. I'm Richard McColl here in Bogota, Colombia. And my very special guest is in Cali. We've got a journalist who dedicates himself to human rights reporting. His name is Jorge Luis Galeano Bolaños. He's the director of EchoEnCali.com. That's EchoEnCali.com. And they've been doing important reporting uh, over the last, obviously, couple of years. Uh, Oh, and indeed, in-depth reporting and what went on in Cali a year ago. You'll remember that the Paro Nacional basically occupied the whole country in various parts more than others, and Cali was a flashpoint. So I can think of no better person than a local journalist on the ground to explain to us a little bit more about what took place and a year later, what is happening. So welcome on the Colombia Calling Podcast, Jorge Luis. Richard, thank you very much for having me. I'm very glad, a little, a little nervous to be here. 
speaking everything in English, but I will try to do my best. Well, I know that you learned your English in Wisconsin, and that there yeah. mustn't at the time you did this. I don't think there were any Spanish speakers up there, so <laughs> no, you wouldn't. must you speak English perfectly. <laughs> Thank um, you. You know, those of you who learn English often speak better grammatically than the rest of us because we just, you know, we just talk it. So uh, I don't have any worries and any fear. I have had people on the show who 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 freeze up in English, but you shouldn't because this is your, as we say in Spanish, your your pan de cada día. This is your bread yeah. and butter. Is this yeah. reporting? So t- tell us a little bit about echoencali.com.com. Punto com. Well, it's a little local media, digital media, uh, who spe- that specializes in human rights. We, do, we don't do news. We don't do day-by-day news. We try to um, learn about stuff and then report in uh, long articles. Mm. Um, we could do podcasts, uh, writing, uh, videos, or whatever the, the issue takes us. Mm. And uh, we want to explore how human rights are handled here in Cali. We have uh, our coverage in, in the city because we're a small small media. We're only two people working and some collaborators from time to time uh, who join us and, and, and give us some, some insights. But we that's what we do. We do that. We've been working uh, for five years, more or less, doing only human rights uh, reports from, from in Cali. So that's what we do. Wow, and so let's let's jump right into the into the you know the the meaty subject of this of this episode. I mean, you must have been working day and night a year ago because Cali. I mean, we never really think of it as the flashpoint. You know, you always think of everything centralized in Bogota. Bogota is the rebellious city. You know, Bogota is the city that elected a former guerrilla as mayor. Bogota then elected, you know, uh, openly lesbian uh, sort of centrist, I would say, mayor. Uh, But Cali, uh, it's always been a curious city on that because it kind of feels to me like a frontier city for the Southwest, but you must have been working. What happened? Let's start from the very beginning. What happened? Well, uh, as everybody remembers, government announced, you know, some reform, an economic reform, and people just didn't like it. That was the beginning of it. People didn't like it, and that's how people just jumped to the street, went to the streets, and tried to say, tell the government, we do not agree with that. Mm-hmm. But the thing, Cali, is that, as you said, is the most important city in Southwest Colombia. Mm-hmm. So we, we receive people from all over Southwest. We receive people from Nariño, Cauca, Chocó, uh, etc. So here we have a combination of a lot of uh, tragedies mm-hmm. that happen around, around Colombia because most of the people who come here are um, for displaced because of, uh, of the armed conflict. So that means that Cali is, uh, has high levels of poverty, high level of criminality and everything. So it happened, okay? So the government announced that that reform that people didn't like, so everybody went to the street. But that wasn't only the thing that was worrying people because people were hungry, people were um, jobless, they didn't have any jobs. So everything just got mixed up, mm. you know, because the government... Uh, it took the government like I think five, six days to start backing up. Say, no, this is not the reform we're gonna make. Uh, we're gonna make some changes. And the people say we don't want changes, we don't we don't want that reform at all. Mm. So you know, between eight days after the, the, everything began, the government said, okay, we're not going to doing the reform. But that wasn't enough because people were still on the streets because of all the uh of all the situation, the economic situation that we we have here in Cali. So Cali became the center of the of the of the party, mm. of the national strike, if you if you will, because everybody was just saying this is not enough. We've been we've been suffering for years and years, and nobody's going, nobody's listening, nobody's listening. We are telling the governments this one before the one before the one before the one before that we we, we need changes, and nobody listens. So people just was fed up. So uh, all of these needs combined to make Cali what it was, Mm. you know, and it was very interesting because when the protest began, 
we never thought it was going to go the way it went. I mean, it was it was amazing because, well, amazing, I mean, how people organize themselves without anybody telling them. Pe young people especially start to see, okay, we have to do something else besides protesting on the streets. We've had to make a stand, a serious stand, so the government listens. So that's why it started happening. And, you know, the blocking streets, uh, um, young people organizing the little groups to say, okay, we're going to stay in these places. We're not going to leave them. We're not going to go to our houses. We're not going to stay. And we need organizations. Mm -hmm. So I think the rest of the country, Colombia, started seeing that in the first days. And they started to copy that in all the cities. Mm -hmm. But uh, Cali is the center of the southwest of the country. And that anger that had been, you know, feeding up for so long, people just, you know, exploded uh, in April last year. What I mean, it was amazing because, you know, it, it really did explode. And like you said, it was the economic reform that was the, the spark. Yeah. Uh, and nobody wanted that. And the government didn't get it. They didn't understand that this was going further, that this, the, the, the unrest, I mean, nationwide, uh, maybe less in some places than others. And, you know, places like Cartagena don't really ever demonstrate or Barranquilla, but the sort of real economic motor like Cali, Bogota, and some to some extent Medellin, um, the government didn't really didn't get it that the, 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 the you know had they moved faster they might have you know let's say uh, placated a little bit but they moved so slowly and so that allowed everyone to get angry and say well you know what about the environment what about the killings of the social and community leaders what about the peace accords what about even I saw people you know like five people uh, protesting uh, against shark fin hunting you know it, every single issue was being touched and I, what amazed me is you know watching the news in cali and of course going out in bogota and taking photos was but in cali what amazed me the most was how long did it take the president to even get there and when he went he he went for like at midnight for like yeah. an hour or something and then came back to bogota i mean it's total ignorance of the situation yeah, there was that also fueled the anger of the people, of course, because when finally the president decided to come here, as you said, he came here at night, mm. like very late at night, after twelve, after midnight, and he actually went to the to the uh, airbase. He didn't even come to Cali, the city itself. Um, that was one thing. The mm. other thing that he, he did was he just completely uh, disregarded the mayor's authority. He sent the general Zapatero to control everything that has, and that was that was. I mean, that was. I mean, in, on top of everything that was happening, those decisions just gave the people the message that the president didn't care. Mm. The the president just didn't care, and the president wasn't going to do what he had to be done. He never he never invited people uh, for talks. All that all his reactions were uh, military mm -hmm. through the military and through the police. That's all. He never said, okay, let's sit down. Let's hear what they have to say. Let's, let's try to, to work things out. He never, never gave that chance. No. So he came the first time to the air base. Then he disregarded the mayors, Cali mayors, Cali's mayor, and, and he sent Zapatero, general, the, the army commander, and who controlled all the operations here. But then he came a second time. And it was, I mean, it was, it was worse because when he came here, he came after this incident between indigenous people mm. and some, some inhabitants in the south of the, of, the, of the city. He went to that neighborhood. He never went to talk to the indigenous uh, as well as the other people. He just went to the other people, mm. talked to them. And, and that was, that was, was worse. I mean, they, people, hey, we are our citizens. You are the president of everybody. You're not just president from some people who keep voting for you. Mm. So I mean, it was no, it was no way. There was not, not one chance of negotiation. Mm. The, the government never gave that that chance, and and it was tragic because that led to killing people. That led to hurting people bad. And, you know, like people losing eyes, getting hurt. Mm. Um, I mean, it was bad. It was a big tragedy here in Cali, and and not even that. 
stop the government of not reading right the situation. I mean, the government just thought that it was a matter of police. It was a matter of military control. And it was not. It was never about that. It was it was people yelling and telling, we have needs. We are hungry. We don't have jobs. We need other um, other decisions. We need to talk to you. And the government never gave the chance to do that. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was sad. It was sad. And as you said, we had to work 24 hours. It was mm-hmm. crazy. It was crazy because people were, were asking for help all the time. They were sending send videos, requests, and like it was crazy. It was it was amazing. It was and, I mean, and we you you've mentioned it now, is that Kali, there were a lot of people killed, and yeah. there are still people we don't know who were disappeared. Yeah. I hate the term. Uh, they were, you know, they've been disappeared. And uh, you, there were obviously grave abuses of human rights. Perhaps from your perspective, you could tell us uh, some of the, the the figures and some of what happened. Because when, you know, we were very disconnected up here. We're just getting, you know, we can watch or we can read alternative media to get a more objective uh, let's say, look at what's going on. But the reality is everybody's watching the two main outlets, RCN and Caracol, and they are spinning one side of the narrative. The the, the clips that we saw were like running gunfights. And uh, tell us a bit about how it was to report and what it was, you know, what was going on. It was was crazy, Richard. It It was bad and it was sad. Mm. Because uh, we every night we 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 receive videos of people running, yelling, you know, just being shot. It, it was it was it was bad, and there were some some dates days specific days where were really really bad. Mm. Um, and to tell people and to tell you that last week, for example, um, one of the sectors that was very very affected by the military operations was the neighborhood called Siloé. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, the community and some organizations there, decided to create a people's court to investigate and to try to find out the truth about those military operations that led to killing mm-hmm. young people. But in that sector, in Siloe, for example, on May 3rd, people were just having a, a, um, a meeting on the street, remembering a kid that was killed the day before. Nicolas Guerrero, I think, you know, he was very, very well known. And people in Silhouette were just getting together, remember him, they were lighting some candles, everything was peaceful. And out of nowhere, the SMAT, which is, you know, the, the, the police squad to attend strikes and everything, just went against them, just like that. Mm-hmm. And after that, the police, and after that, the army and, and a group of special operations, it's just like they were fighting like another army it was crazy. I know, you know, young unarmed people facing a special operation team from police and the army. I mean, that's that's crazy. And that night, three young men were killed. One of them uh, still doesn't, he hasn't been established the cause of death after one year. You know, I mean, it was crazy. So, I mean, and every night we had to receive and report that. And as you said, the, the, the majority of the reports were not made by the media, mm. the people themselves. They took their phones and started, you know, recording or uh, broadcasting live what was happening. And what we had to do was to tell them to every time they are uh, broadcasting live, tell the date, the place, and the time. So we can somehow say it is happening. It is reliable. No, because the other thing was how many information we received that was not reliable. And that was the other great challenge we had to, to filter every every information. That's, but, you know, yeah. Well, that's that's the key thing, isn't it? Because the, the yeah. first thing that anyone will say is that it's fake and it came from another time. To make it verifiable was probably your hardest job. Yeah, exactly. And, and as, as, as I said, we are a small media. We don't have ne- neither technology nor the people to filter, filter all the information we were receiving. We had, I had to ask help many, many times to bigger media. There is a media uh, here in Colombia, Colombia Check, that specializes in checking information. So I had to send them a whole lot of videos. Like, people are saying this, please help me. I have no idea how to do this. 
and it was crazy. Mm-hmm. But going back to the to the to the question you asked, so May third happened there in Siloé, and a year after, their families are still asking for justice. Justice in Colombia is not working. Justice is just you know stop. Mm-hmm. They're taking these cases so slowly that people are frustrated. So that's why they created this people's court to find out the truth. You know, this this court does not. It's not going to give jail to the, the guilty people, of course, but it gonna, it's going to help to find the truth. Another day, with, there, was, there was terrible here in, in, in Cali, and also in Silhue was May 20, 28th. And it was particularly sad because one kid uh, was killed in a fire on a store. And the story is bad because police and the authorities said that this kid was trying to rob the, the store, you know. He, he, now he went to the store and was trying to, to rob, and the and the store just went on fire, and he got caught in the fire. And the family is saying that it's not true because the family has videos, has a lot of testimonies that say that the kid was outside and he was shot, he was shot killed, and then dragged into the store. And you know, I, and that family is trying to say we are going to find out the truth. Mm. And and I will I can tell you how stories like that because in in the twenty and some blocking sites that the people created, uh, there were young people dying, mm. young people dying every time. What do you think it was a let's say an order from the top down just regain regain authority by whatever means, or do you feel that just some let's say a uh, I don't know, battalions of police or riot police or the military just took the law into their own hands. I mean, how do you feel that it that it uh, panned out? Yes, that's a big discussion here in Colombia between those who believe that uh, when, when things like that happened, when that, uh, a young person was killed by a, a police or a soldier or something, it's just because that police officer or that soldier just went crazy. Just, you know, lost it and he was uh, shot. The, the, the popular uh, rotten, rotten apple. Yeah, it's not the institution. A manzana yeah. Podrida. Yeah. Exactly. And on the other hand, there are, those, there are those who think that there's a big problem with the institution as a whole. I mean, there are, uh, there are a lot of things happening inside the institutions that allow those things to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and, and you see the numbers. And you, we might think that there is a problem with the institution. In Cali, we say uh, in the past, which is a big institute, an organization who you know, you know mm. recorded and had all the information. Uh, according to, to them, in Cali, there were 25 people killed. And, and we don't know if those dates, I mean, probably the, that data is, is not the whole information. There are a lot of people who did not want their cases to be known because they were afraid. Mm. Yeah, they, they were threatened, so they, they did not tell anything. But let's say 25 mm-hmm. in Cali. Those 25 in the past says that were uh, killed by police officers or soldiers, because in total they have 42 people killed. But 25 were killed. So I know, I, I mean, it's hard for me to believe that if you have 25 people killed by an institution, the problem is just people, not a problem with the institution. I think there is a big, big problem with how they handle the situation. If you, if you, if you think about um, how General Zapatero announced the operation, they never, he never announced the operation as a regain order. He announced the operation as a military operation. Okay, so that gave all his men the the how do you say that like the the free pass yeah. to do whatever they want. Yeah. And that's dangerous. And that's why people don't see that. When a general says, we're going to regain order and, and they display, I don't know, thousands of military heavily armed against civilians, I mean, what can you expect to be, to happen? Yeah. So it's crazy. So I think there is a problem with the institutions. I think I, they have to change that. I, I would say something, and we've said it, a lot of times on this podcast before, but the, the, the need to separate and to extract the police force from the, from the Ministry of Defense. You yeah. know, it needs to be a more socially aware force. Therefore, yeah. it's not, 
we are not in the 1980s or ni early 1990s where you know to an extent it's justified that it's a military force because of the you know the rampant uh, cartel violence in the streets and so on but we we've moved beyond that now and, and yeah. the things need to change but i don't know you talked about the families uh, perhaps not coming forward because they're yeah. afraid of of when they receive threats and uh, retribution and everything have uh, do you get threatened for reporting on these uh, issues no no we we've been safe we we've been fortunately we haven't got any threats of any of any kind we we've been able to do our job freely and that's a very good thing because what people need now is this kind of information yeah because when a journalist gets threatened, a media gets threatened, that is a pretty big problem for democracy. Because yeah, yeah. people, you know, are are blocked uh, to be informed correctly, mm -hmm. so they don't have as many choices to understand a so complicated issue such as the national strike. Because the national strike has a lot of things to understand, not only not only what happened on the streets, but what happens next, yeah. what is going on now, which is a consequence. Of, of of the strike. So no, fortunately we've been we've been doing our freely and you know no problem so far. I'm glad to hear it. I wonder I want to go you know into the the strikes from the year ago because Cali obviously you know gained a reputation and and now I understand from from people I know in Cali how long did the the paro nacional last in Cali? How many days did it last? I, th I don't exactly know the number, but it went from April 28th, which is the first day, and it went all the way to the end of July, something like that. It was, I think, the day or probably the day where the last block inside was just... Uh, I bet mean, it was a tiny one, right? Right, right yeah. to the end, like yeah, the, yeah. at the university or something, was it uh, somewhere yeah. around there? Yeah. Now, because my, my curiosity is, is that I understand, and this is, again, what I've been told, is that it moved uh, from being, let's say, a paro nacional to demand improvements and demand that the government acknowledge the difficulties. But then it evolved into something else that, that maybe, uh, would you say, organized crime got involved later on? You know, Because I know that Siloe, as you've suggested, I mean, it is a very... Um, what do we call that? They, they're not comunas in Cali. What are they called? Uh, yeah, yeah, a, the comuna. It's a comuna. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, yeah. it's a humble barrio. It's a very working class barrio. Yeah, uh, it, and it seemed that the the, the, the paro was then taken over by by criminal elements. At least that's what I've been told. What What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, there are a lot of rumors and a lot of people who belong to the primera linea. Mm. Who later said that yeah they were they were infiltrated by some uh, people mm. you know, belong to criminal criminal organizations that wanted to you know exploit the disorder they wanted to exploit the chance to recruit some of the young men to take over some territory so taking advantage of what was going on and that is true and there is there are videos and there are testimonies who who can confirm that. Mm. Uh, so that was part, part of the problem. And, and the problem was that that gave the government excuse to yeah. keep doing what it was doing. Uh, people were trying to say, look, 90 something percent of the were, were, were was peaceful. Mm. That's what the, the information is. 90 something percent. Mm. The other was just what we saw in the media and all the chaos. But in a though, that chaos criminal organizations just took advantage and, and yeah and, and there are a lot of rumors which i cannot talk on here right now about okay. rumors bad but uh there are people who did some stuff yeah. inside those those groups and, yeah. and then uh, and then when we saw was it in ciudad jardin is that the the place yep. where where we we got the footage of local people coming out of their you i guess you would say strato six Colombia yeah. is stratified. If you live in Strato Six, you have uh, you are you know high income and living in a high rent district. If you're Strato One, working class and it's subsidized by Strato Six. People who yeah. know Colombia will understand that. Um, now Strato Six people came out armed 
and were, sh sh uh, were shooting at protesters. And we saw images of that. And of course, the famous guy, uh, Andres Escobar, unfortunately, yep. we know his name because he became the image of this. But I mean, how can I, you know, for, for me, for one, I, I, I would, well, I would never own a gun. That's the starters. But to go out and shoot, uh, you know, they're protesters. Yes. Uh, my property is at risk, but I still wouldn't shoot my fellow man. You know, I mean, I, so for me, as a, you know, kind of, I guess, liberal <laughs> on, that, on that sense, I just don't understand it. I don't, I don't understand it. I, yeah, it's very hard to understand. For even for us, it's very, very hard. It was very hard to see that. It was very hard when those people just went out armed, started shooting to students, uh, because there were a lot of incidents in that sector. Not only with the students, but also with the indigenous people I told you about before. And there were also people heavily armed. And we're not talking about pistols. No, we're talking about rifles. Yeah, we're we're talking about people who went out with uh, bulletproof uh, chest uh, vests, mm -hmm. you know, like trained people who know, who knew what they were doing and people, civilian people armed, heavily armed next to police officers and the police did not stop them. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was sad. So we, we don't, we don't really, we don't really, it was shocking for us to, to see that, that reaction. Mm -hmm. And I think that has to do with, um, how people see this stratification mm. because one part of the problem of stratification is you are you live in, in six and you're a high income uh, person and actually you you live like in a fantasy world like yeah. you don't understand the need of other people mm. you see and and you you try to live in like like we, we call it the bubble mm. and that's your world and everything outside that is, that does not exist doesn't does not deserve to exist <laughs> Or it's a nuisance for me, so it has to be stopped, blocked, eliminated in the worst case scenario. So I think that's part of the problem. You know, they did not understand the protest. They all—all all they saw was the destruction. So they care more about a wall. They care more about a, a bus. They care more about the infrastructure than people's people's lives. You know, so uh, today, even today, they justify those actions. They say we would do it again. They say we have to stop uh, all those, and, and they confuse every time they protest with communism. And that's mm. that's you know that's a narrative now. So everything, everybody who is going to protest against government, it's a communist. So the war is justified because we don't want a communist system here in our country. So we we'll do whatever it takes to prevent it. And that has come way to the elections too. Yeah. The election has kept those that, that that narrative. That that's what, what, what the issue. I, there's so many issues there that that are striking and worrying. Is that you know, first people have these weapons. <laughs> Let's just stay with that. I mean, they have semi-automatics and so yeah. on, and pistols and rifles and bulletproof vests. And then, secondly, the police do nothing, so it encourages vigilantism yeah. of this type. Uh, I don't condone violence on any side. Let me just get that out. If 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 the protesters are creating violence, you know, I am the first to condemn it as well. Equally so, the private citizens coming out with their guns and the police doing nothing, that takes away authority from, you know, the, the government establishments, which again encourages these, these people. I mean, that's the part. And as you say, the justification comes... And it's all tied in now. We've got elections on May 20, 29th, the first yeah, round. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they say, oh, yeah, they're all communists. They're all leftists. They want us to become Cuba and Venezuela. When there is no relevance to that argument in this context. And, I mean, that's, that's what is so upsetting about it. It doesn't allow for a dialogue. It doesn't allow for adults <laughs> to talk because... Exactly. It, it becomes a shouting match from both mm -hmm. sides. One side mm -hmm. saying, you know, we want to be able to eat three meals a day and we want to be able to get our produce to highways to sell, so like Campesino, or the indigenous people. We want a recognition of our rights and the environment as well as the Afro-Colombians, as well as whomever else, and our culture and society. 
And then on the other side, you, you they're saying you're destroying private property, which is which is happening. Uh, but it's also about maintaining the status quo. And it, it makes it a very worrying situation because today nothing has changed. You know, the strikes took place, and at the end, the government created the Gran Mesa de, de Dialogo or whatever, uh, and didn't really even turn up to it. And then it was COVID. So that was all, you know, put onto the back burner. Now we're going into an election. So one year on, Jorge Luis, have we seen any change in Cali? I mean, what is what is going on one year on? I don't, it's very difficult to measure change like in, in such a short period of time after what happened. But what we, I think what we've seen is that more people are at least aware of the importance of participation in politics, in elections, and the idea of democracy. I think that's that's one thing that we should you know praise. Yeah. Because before before the strike, um, we didn't have that. We didn't have the discussions we're having. We didn't have the intensity of campaigns that we're having now. And so many young people involved in that kind of uh, discussion. And I think that's that part of it is a consequence of the of the strike because because during the strike uh, and as the time as the time went on, say May, say June, people start asking themselves oh, what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. What what are we going to do after the strike? What is our next step? Mm -hmm. And it's, and it was very very uh, interesting to see that most of them, a lot of young people, uh, they were on the streets protesting. They started to say the next step are elections. We have to set eyes on elections. And a lot of candidates for Senate and, and, and Camara Representantes started to, you know, listen to the young people and started to say, okay, I'm going to make your needs part of my campaign. And if I'm elected, you know, this project is going to be on Senate. Mm -hmm. And I, I think was, that, was, that was very positive. And now uh, uh, inside most of those people who protested, they organized and became a part of the some candidates. Mm. I don't know if I can name names yeah, here. Sure. For example, uh, for uh, for Petro, there are a lot of comedies that in, in cities like Cali are formed, and many of those are formed by people who protested. Mm. So because they say, okay, what we have to do next is uh, is election. So I think that's 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 a good thing after strike. You know, it's that awareness of the importance of. A politic, a participation in politics, at least voting. That's like the first step, but at least voting is, is key. The rest of things haven't changed because we're talking about poverty mm. and you can't change that in one year. And we're talking about, uh, you know, strategies to give people more jobs and, you know, it just doesn't change, you know, from one year to the other. Mm. But I think we're walking to that. I think... Uh, among the difficulties, because after the strike, a lot of people were arrested. They're still being arrested. They're accused. Like a month ago, a lot of people were taken to jail because of really? what they supposedly did on the strike. So yeah, actually, on, on April twenty eighth, mm. a lot of people were you know celebrating you know one year, and they were arrested, mm. and they were taken to jails, and they were in process. There are a lot of uh, in silhouette people saying that still killed. There are still people disappearing. So, you know, mm. things doesn't do not change that big. But I, I think political awareness is, is good. Yeah, I mean, because there's been traditionally quite a low, I mean, a, quite a high abstention rate in, yeah. in Colombian politics. So, I mean, from your vantage point, you really, I, I feel, having been out on the streets and so on, that the young people are going to vote uh, this time. How do you feel? Look, in, in March, we had the first election for Senate, and uh, and people didn't vote as no. much as we thought they were going to do. They were going to vote. So that, that kind of disappointed me a little bit. But I think these elections, these presidential elections are different, and people read them differently. Mm. So I think we have a chance that young people this time, on May, they are going to vote. Mm. Because I think they, they see the figure of president as a figure that can do more than a figure of a Senate, yeah. a senator. And I think that confusion, which it's is not confusion, good. yeah, it's not good, no? <laughs> but at least 
it it'll, it starts to um, allow them to ask themselves questions about politics. Mm. So, okay, this guy, I'm, I should vote because, you know, my vote is going to help him go there and do what he promised to do. So I think I have hopes that these elections are going to be, uh, people are going to vote more. That's what I mean. So I hope that young people, as I've seen on social media, as I've seen on the streets during the campaign after the strike, uh, as you know, as many people as they participate in those in those space in those moments are going to vote, mm-hmm. are going to go to to uh, to to vote and choose whatever they think is better for the country. Yeah, I, I mean, I say to anyone, I mean, I, I can't vote. Obviously, I'm not a Colombian citizen, but I always say, honestly, I really don't mind who you vote for because that's your right just yeah. vote yeah you know, let's see the weight of people voting yeah. uh, and it is a war it is a concern to me that the 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 senate and uh, house of representatives the congress wasn't as high because people here tend to believe that the president is all powerful but without yeah. you know a backing of a of a majority in congress he's not going to be uh, and that that was a, that was a concern when you come out. It's like, let's say let's you know let's take the hypothetical that Gustavo Petro, the leftist candidate, leading the polls at the moment, uh, as we record this on the ninth of May, uh, it, he gets in. It's going to be incredibly fragmented Congress and Senate. He'll have to make uh, you know coalitions and alliances, something that he's not good at at all. He's not a. Yeah, yeah. He has proven that he has, he's he, not smart. We know this. He, he, there's <laughs> no compromise, yeah. and so you know, and and yet the narrative that the the president is all powerful is still maintained by the current president. You know, when he when he spoke out against the the constitutional court's ruling on abortion, saying you know uh, that five people can make this choice. He's like, well, hang on a second. That's why the constitutional court is there. It has nothing to do with you. You know, it's like uh, and exactly. So you, exactly. You sort of you sort of worry about this feeling, and it's an oversimplification of the process. Oh, the yeah. court takes to to make the decision. It's gone through years to yeah, get to that course. point. It's not. Yeah, it's not yeah. the president then saying, ah, you know. But again, that's appealing to his base. That's appealing yeah. to his thing, and and it's and it's also a play in the elections. No, we know yeah. that he can't run again for those of you outside of Colombia. Uh, but it's again, it's a, appealing for that side of things. I'm curious. There was one thing I and I I forgot it. Uh, but we go back to the demonstrations in Cali, the Paro Nacional. What is the truth behind that? the story or the reporting that was it an exito supermarket that was being yeah. used as a, as a, I don't know, torture jail? Place. a yeah, torture, torture place. Yeah. Torture. Well, it, that's, that's one of, that's the kind of things that happen in Colombia for those who are not in Colombia. We never get the truth of stuff like that. That's we, we still don't know exactly what happened because as always, there are two versions. The authorities mm-hmm. say that they never found anything, any proofs of any torture or any incarceration in that place, the search of. But the organizations, uh, social organizations, you know, human rights defenders that went and checked the place said, yeah, we found stuff. We found stain of blood. We have testimonies of people living nearby, hearing screams. We have videos of police getting into the Exito supermarket you know, and then coming out of there, you know, we, we, we have reports of people being dragged to, to exit, but there's no investigation. No. So we don't know uh, to this day what happened. We have the suspicion that really something happened there. And, 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 and again, if there, is, if there are victims, they are too afraid to speak up. Yeah. They will not say unless some kind of, you know, security stuff is around them to make sure nothing is going to happen to them. Mm-hmm. But they are not going to say anything. So we still don't know what happened. We have suspicion, but that's all. And then the, the final point as well, what are your thoughts on the the German lady who took place and was deported from uh, Struber, Struber, something like that? Struber, yeah. yeah. Rebecca. Rebecca Struber. What's your, what are your, I've, I've messaged her, but she hasn't responded. Yeah, I did too, and she didn't respond. <laughs> uh, I think it was unfair. I mean, it was one of the things that this government just did to to show up some some results. It was mm. she was, you know, she, I think I think 
if she committed any crime, well, there are ways to make uh, to make her pay the crime, but she didn't commit any crime. I mean, she was, she was she was deported because she was she had some stuff with the with with her permission to stay. It was something like that. It was it was nothing serious. Yeah. But but around around her, she was accused of being part of the guerrilla. She yeah. was accused of, of you know you know being violent. He was accused. She was she 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 was accused of a lot of things, mm. and that was not the issue. The issue was some kind of permission stuff that it could have been resolved much easier. It could have been resolved in another in another way. It was just just those things that the government liked to do here. Also, it's a good thing to steer away the news as well. You can bury other news with the the image of you know a blonde. Uh, foreigner joining demonstrations and of course we've got you know everyone falls back on the image of Irene Tanya Niemeyer the the Dutch guerrilla and you fall back on that and so there's a stigma around it I and and you know Richard there's the bigger problem about about that is that that reinforced the story about the stories that were they were told that you know the protests were uh, backed up by Russians Hmm. And you know, Putin was trying to, and and people just you know saw Rebecca and say, you see, you see, yeah, it's true. The foreigners are trying to take over country. Russians are coming. Russians are coming. So okay. it was, it was sad. It was sad, really. I quickly asked that. Uh, have you found any evidence that the Russians are interfering in anything? Not at all. Not they at actually, all. you know, you know, like uh, fifteen or a month ago, uh, some media published a video of a guy speaking in Russian, and there was a. And they say, this is the proof. And I'm like, really? I mean, are you serious? This is the proof? Right. I mean, I can be held to this and people can correct me in the future. But I mean, we still, isn't it just, isn't it just we're taking ourselves, and I say that because I live here and, and I've been here a long time, it, it, building up Colombia's importance on a world stage to say that C- Russia is getting involved because Colombia is a U.S. ally in the region and Venezuela. It just seems, I mean, again, you can all correct me if I'm wrong down the line. I, I will gladly, you know, pay the price for it somewhere. But it just seems a bit far-fetched that Russia should really be uh, interested, uh, you know, majorly interested in Colombia. I agree. I mean, there's, I mean, there's no reason to believe that Russia would be that interested in say, oh, there are protests. Um, this is a, a scenario I'd like to get involved. Hmm. I, there's no reason. I don't. I don't know. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not a, a political specialist or anything like that. But I don't think there is any political advantage for Russia to become involved in things like that. I mean, yeah. there's no. There's no sense to that. Yeah. But this. This. This is the narrative. That helps people, you know, to say the lefts, the left wings people are trying to take over and it's going to be a tragedy for Colombia. I think those things help them a lot, you know, yeah. even politics, yeah. the high profile politics in Colombia backed up that, that story and say, yeah, the Russians are coming. I think actually it was a candidate. He's not a candidate anymore. Uh, Oscar Ivan Zuluaga who yeah. publicly said that. He said the Russians, if Petro is president, the Russians will take over. And people say, oh, you see, Oscar Ivan says that, so it must be true. I have the, uh, Oscar Ivan went to the same university as me in England. And, <laughs> and this is a side story. Once they, they got in touch with me, the university, uh, through yeah. the alumni network and said, oh, but we, we know that this is, you know, very high powered politician. Perhaps we can use him, you know, to help build up the reputation of the university to get more Colombian students. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> not him, please, not him. <laughs> um, but on another, on another note, uh, it, so we've just come out of four days of Paro Nacional, yeah. which Basically, armed, yeah, armed, armed blockades by yeah. the AGC, so the Auto Defenses Gaitanista de Colombia, or the Clan yeah. del Golfo, which is, is an evolution of the Urabeños, which is an evolution yeah. of the other paramilitary groups. You can just chart it back. It essentially froze northern Colombia and yeah. most of Antioquia, aside from Medellin. So we're looking at Antioquia, Cordoba, Sucre, uh, parts of Magdalena, Bolivar. Uh, I'm sure Atlantico as well, Cesar. Uh, I mean, this is a huge swathe of Colombia, and it's a, it's you know, this is a, this is a, a narco trafficking group, really. Yep. Uh, although it is political because, of course, it stops 
commerce and it stops life. So there is yeah. a political element. I'm not saying that they're political in the way that the guerrilla originally was, uh, uh, but I'm saying political because of the way it affects society. Uh, in Cali, was there any reaction? Was there any? Uh, was it tense at all? Whether uh, was the paro evident? No, not because you know the group uh, that led the paro do not do not operate uh, in this in this area. So there was no worry about the the constant worry here is what happens in Cauca, mm. which has an, other groups, you know, dissidencias. LN uh, operating and thus the, the, the groups. But uh, regarding to that, and in the north, no, there was no, no, no consequence, no, not at all. The only thing, you know, it's that we worry about the reaction of the government, yeah. which we saw different from the reaction he, he had, the, he had uh, during the Paranational last year. Mm -hmm. uh, we said, okay, you you show your force mm -hmm. last year in Colombia, in Cali, you showed the whole force. Why didn't you show force? Then what happened? And, and you know that that starts to you know create doubts about okay what's going on? Mm -hmm. You know what's going on? You you have a clearly you know clearly illegal group armed group doing that, and the react your reaction is just do nothing. Yeah. I mean, what's going on? It's it, there was almost beyond like major parts major parts of highways there was nothing. There was nothing, you know, but yeah. in huge stretches. Yes, Colombia is really big. You can't police the whole country, but you know where they are. You know where the AGC is more powerful. You know where they're going to be. You know, it's, a, it's this question. It keeps raising more questions. Now, finally here, and I won't take up more of your time. The What concerns me for you is that uh, local journalists are more at risk for yeah. reporting. So please, Jorge Luis, look after yourself, look after your team, because it's always the local journalists on the ground. It's not the foreign journalists, because we get a special sort of dispensation for being international. It's you guys down there on the ground. So please be careful. That's what I'm asking you here as we end this podcast. Richard, thank you very much. And I will. And I always tell my team, there's no story worth your life. So yeah. whatever, any anything that you see as risky, just drop it. Right. We have, yeah, we have, you know, all, all these protocols. Uh, we can, we can attend if, if necessary. So far, it hasn't been. So, get, gladly, we've been, we've been doing our job freely. Excellent. Now, everyone, mm -hmm. thank you, and I know you'll have enjoyed this. We've been talking to Jorge Luis uh, Galeano Bolaños. Uh, he's in Cali, originally from Pasto, but he's in Cali there. Uh, and of course, check out his website, echoincali.com echoincali.com of course we'll put that on the facebook page and in the show notes and so on this has been episode 423 just shortly we will give you some some uh, messages from our sponsors on this episode uh, but thank you again jorge luis for your time and for clarifying so eloquently what's been going on in cali this last year Oh, richard thank you very much for having me I really really hope i can give you a, a hint to understand this chaotic situation because it's not easy to understand it's it's a tough one and we've got yeah. the elections coming up uh, it, we will all be looking and at cali as well to see how it uh, you know uh, how it turns out because of course i think the city probably remains quite tense in that respect yeah yeah it's like anything can sparkle a protest again all right well thank you again and as i said please stay safe thank you very much richard for having me good and just a final reminder, this episode was brought to you by two sponsors this week, Latin News, a leading source of political and economic analysis on Latin America and the Caribbean since 1967. Their flagship publication, the Latin American Weekly Report, provides a behind-the-scenes briefing on all the week's key developments throughout the region. You can sign up for a 14-day free trial at www.latinnews.com. So check them out, one of our kind sponsors. Our other sponsor is um, BNB Colombia Tours, experts in custom-made travel throughout Colombia. So you can think about travel to the major cities of Bogota, Cartagena, Medellin, the coffee zone, or more offbeat or off-the-beaten-track places such as Casanare or Guaviare, the Amazon. BNB Colombia Tours offer private packages, including 
pretty much anything you could possibly want. They will provide you and your loved ones with a fantastic private experience, creating wonderful memories of Colombia you'll cherish for a lifetime. So please check out their website at bnbcolombia.com. You complete the free itinerary form. And then for you guys, listeners of the Columbia Calling podcast, you mentioned that you heard this ad here on the podcast and you'll get a further 5% off their already very competitive prices. So thank you again to our sponsors, that's BNB Columbia Tours and indeed latinnews.com. That's me for this week. We'll be back next week again. Thank you for listening. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 